NFTs to me in the world of commerce are, are the equivalent of having like a subscription card or a membership card. It just gives you access to different things that other people don't get access to. So it's almost like a private club you get access to. The real question you have to answer is like, why does this product deserve the right to even exist in the first place? It might be something as simple as like, we sell gummy bears, but D to C. Why would somebody you know, make the purchase there versus what they might already use for, you know, to, to where they go buy their gummy bears. Alrighty guys. So welcome back to another episode of the building box podcast. Today I have someone really special to me. I've known Nick for, oh man, I feel like I feel like we grew up together, basically. Yeah, I think um, so. Nick Sharma, you've probably seen him around Twitter. Most likely you have heard about him. He is the DDC guy, founder of Sharma Brands that operates and advises a lot of your favorite brands. And some of them you probably have in your house, like House Wine. They do Care of Way Home, Ready, Set, Judy, and so, so, so many more brands. Um, truly one of the guys I personally respect and look up to and so happy you can join me today. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, as you said, we like grew up on the internet together, so it's been fun. I slept on your Always, couch. Like, yeah, you I, slept on my couch before. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, a couple of years back, I visited Nick in New York, and it was kind of like unannounced. I just flew to New York, and I said, "Nick, can I crash on your couch?" Because I don't know if you guys ever try to get a hotel in, in New York. It's like four hundred dollars for a it's night. Impossible. It's you're, you're going to spend your entire month's salary <laughs> within, <laughs> within a week getting a hotel. So I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm crashing on your couch and you're hanging out with me. And we did. It was such a fun time. Yeah, no, it was a great time. And the reason why I feel like I vibe so much with Nick is because we're both operators and operators is such a broad term now, but in e-commerce, it's very, very difficult to run a brand without really good operators. So today I really want to talk to Nick and break down some of his recent wins. Um, in particular, I think what Nick has done really well is being able to take brands from zero to one. Um, and it's truly not as easy as it sounds because zero to one is just one digit, but oh my God, it is the I, hardest I, part. It is so, so hard. They say like your first million is the hardest part. And I'm like, yeah, have you tried to get to hundred K? Like zero to hundred K is super hard. So yeah. uh, Nick, I know we had like a conversation in passing and that's really why I want to talk to you about, but you recently had a really big win with a skincare brand that you helped advise and launch. Can you tell me a little bit more about this brand? What's so special about it? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's a platform that I use where um, people can essentially quote unquote, pick my brain uh, in exchange for my time and I get compensated for it. And mm -hmm. Um, this was in a, a company that came in through that platform and it's a skincare brand called Karim MD skin. And it's by this doctor who's actually like a, a you know, an award-winning, uh, facial reconstruction surgeon, I think, uh, out of San Diego. And he basically came to me with this idea of, you know, he's like, Hey, I've got so much knowledge in this field of skincare, um, you know, creating better skin, making people feel and look younger with their skin. You know, I want to put this into a uh, three product routine and sell it. And at first I was a little skeptical, you know, there's 27 million different skincare brands and maybe 25 that launch on a daily basis. And, um, 
so, you know, we, we started working together and, you know, giving him kind of all the, the pointers and whatnot. But as soon as I tried the product itself, I was pretty blown away by how actually good the products were, the formulation, the ingredients. They, I mean, it was a top-notch product. And, you know, it's basically, it's a cleanser, it's a serum, and it's a cream. So it's a three-step routine, and we call it the trifecta. So the interesting thing here is, you know, the real uh, punchline is that it's all done by a real doctor, right? It's not like we went to a contract manufacturer or uh, an OEM supplier, which is a white label supplier and said, you know, we want to add these three products and here's our logo and here's our label. And this is the type of box we want. This was almost the inverse where the product inside the packaging had all the emphasis on it and everything else was kind of like, you know, let's scrap to put it together. And so, we we focused on uh, a couple main things. One was um, putting together a, a good product story so that we can actually communicate what it is that's inside these products, the ingredients, why they're relevant, how they're helpful to different people, uh, how they help your skin look younger, tighter, better. And um, and then the other thing we put a huge emphasis on was basically communication. So how we think about email, how we think about uh, texting, how we think about social media. And, you know, the reason I think I love this brand so much is because, you know, I've been a part of building websites that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this was not that at all. This was a site that was built off of a, a website template. You know, it looks like a templated site still. And, you know, within the first couple of weeks of us launching, it did, uh, you know, six figures in revenue without a single dollar spent on ads. And... It was, it was driven by two main things. One was we did this amazing closed circuit beta uh, from, from his own audience and his own patients. And so we had this group of people that immediately on day one of launch were already advocating for the product and could, could speak up about the efficacy of the product itself. And second was this guy himself is a creator on Instagram and TikTok. So you know, I think he has anywhere from three to 400,000 followers on, on Instagram and TikTok. And um, we were able to get his community on social so excited and involved in the process from, you know, signing up to be beta testers in that early cohort to then coming and flooding the site on, on launch day. Um, and, and we've created this business that, you know, I, I would say is easily valued at a few million now um, without spending a single dollar on any ads. So all the distribution so far has just been his own Instagram account. And the way that we've done that is by one, just constantly focusing on educating uh, about what are the ingredients inside these products. And second is we just have an insanely aggressive content calendar you know, every day there's something going out with some type of educational post. Everything we've done is focused on education versus, um, you know, these like sexy, quick cut Instagram backlit, beautiful shots. And it's so backwards from, from what we do most of the time, which, which also still does really well. But uh, it's been really fascinating to me to see this as a case study for, you know, you can still have a an amazing product and an amazing community and you don't need all the other bells and whistles that everybody thinks you need to have
Yeah, I, I love that last point is that when people think of DDC, they, they have this idea of this is a stack that you need to really make it work. And, and truly, in some sense, it, it does, but it's not always the case. And in this, in this case, we're looking at the community and the brand equity that he's built over time as an authority in the space overpower the need for paid ads because without that yeah we do have to try a lot harder on like the the beautiful jump cut videos but he was able to bring that into the mix and overpower it and build a really, this really successful business and it in another way i really want to like talk about the space because one thing that you mentioned is that there's 27 million skincare brand obviously exaggerated but like in such a saturated space how do you think a brand can stand out because the truth is this will keep happening. So I want to listen to this podcast and be like, damn, skincare brand, let's do it. Right. But in your, in your mind, you've seen so many brands rise and fall and some even scale exponentially. What really makes the ones that scale and, and last um, stand out and be different than everyone else who's starting? Well, you know, in the short term, I think it's um, short term and long term. I think the the real question you have to answer is like, why does this product deserve the right to even exist in the first place. You know, if this is something, like I said, is just a white label product from a contract manufacturer, uh, it's probably not going to last that long. Now that might be different than a strategy of let's launch with the contract manufacturer because it's, it's cheaper to do that. Once we get traction, then we'll, you know, figure out our own formulations. But, um, you know, there's, there's countless stories of, of companies that launch and they, you know, it, it might be something as simple as like we sell gummy bears, but D to C and there's no real reason. Like, why would somebody do that? Or why would somebody, you know, make the purchase there versus what they might already use for, you know, to, to where they go buy their gummy bears. And those are the ones that I think don't last. So in the short term, I think the real thing to answer is like, why does this thing exist? And, and uh, why, why is somebody going to buy this? In the long term, it's that, but it's also how good is the product, right? So like uh, there's, there's even companies that I know that do, you know, 100 to 200 million in revenue, um, but they'll, and, and that's a lot of money, but they'll never be able to grow from that or sell because their product quality is not that good. And so they've, they've essentially capped themselves. There's also other companies that, you know, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, launch and they're really good at acquiring customers, but then their customers never stay because again, the product quality is not there. And all they've done is really educated somebody on why they need that product. But then that person goes to another company to get the same product. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think product quality is a huge one. I think um, making sure that you're, you're also building a reason for your brand to be the one to supply that product is big. You know, I think we're starting to see this rise of, um, communities and involvement from customers within brands, right? It's not just about uh, brands shilling out new products and customers just buying them. There's kind of this two-way relationship that's being built between brands and consumers. And in the long run, if, if your consumers don't have a role within that brand, you know, a couple years down the line, then I think that's another reason somebody's going to leave and, and go find your same product from another company. Um, it comes, it's kind of similar to like when you think about, uh, B2B or in business, you know, the, the people that you, um, have the best relationships with are often the ones that, that, um, you know, stick with you the longest, right? Like, uh, if, if, if you and I are, 
if, if I'm always plugging you in, in something that I'm doing or vice versa, then down the road, we're always going to be doing that because we enjoy working with each other. We have a relationship. We feel connected, right? It's the same thing with consumers and brands. If, if that connection is not there and it's more than just them buying the product, then there's no reason why they wouldn't go somewhere else. There's no emotional attachment for them to stay with one brand. Yeah, I, I love to point on the B2B side because um, I, I'm a big fan of like building relationship with the people I work with. And like we go out for dinner, we take them out to, to a nice place. We invite them to the, to the Lakers game and to build that really long-term relationship. And then we work together down the line. And the question is like, how do we emulate the same experience for our customers on a DDC site? And there's so many different channels, right? There's SMS, there's emails, and there's a lot of things that we could do. And I'm quite curious to see like, what are, what are the ways that you've seen brands done really well in building a community beyond just trying to, to be it? Because there's the brands that try too hard and there's brands that just naturally come to them. And, and I want to hear a little bit more about like your insights on these two, like the brands that try too hard, where do they go wrong? And the brands that did it well, what was it that really made it click? Yeah, it's funny. I've, I have a really weird perspective on this. I think community is something that either exists or it does not exist. Um, it's in, in my eyes, it's very binary, right? It's, uh, for example, um, you look at a company like uh, Parade or Outdoor Voices or even, um, you know, Chamberlain Coffee. Like these are companies that have, fan, they're not just consumers, they're fans, and the community is really these fans just interacting with each other or finding, finding times where they get together. Um, it's, it, it puzzles me when brands are always like, we need to figure out how to build a community. But really all that is, is it's just building that relationship. It's building platforms for your customers to do things that involve activities outside of just buying your product, right? That could be something as simple as, like, like you said, hosting a dinner. You know, why not take your your top 25 customers in different cities and go on a road show and do a dinner, invite them, let them get to know each other. Um, or, or like Outdoor Voices used to do this running club. You know, they would take customers in different cities that all wear their Outdoor Voices gear and they would do it. It's, it's no different than like, you know, you go to a, a Danny Duncan tour, uh, you know, the YouTuber, and you see all his fans, like they instantly become friends. Or you go to an Millennium concert Everybody in the crowd is friends with each other automatically because they have this shared interest of Elenium or Danny Duncan. And it's, it's, it's less about like, how do we go find a software to create a community or how do we go, you know, hire somebody to build community for us? It's more just about like listening to the people who are, who are consuming from you or who are engaged with you and just understanding what it is that they want to hear. Uh, what can you do to contribute to their life in a positive way that doesn't feel uh, manufactured or fake, you know? Yeah, and I think a brand that does this really well, uh, and you know them too, uh, Mad Happy. Um, yeah. They, oh, they, yeah. I would say go standard for building this community because they have Mad Happy and then they have another brand, a sub-brand called Local Optimist, which is very, very mental health driven. Um, and I'm like, that. that is... I would say the right way to build communities because they listen to the consumer. They're like, this is a problem that everyone's going through. We're going to create products that help us express our feelings and express our love for the brand. But at the same time, the people who are wearing Mad Happy, they're like, I get you. I understand why. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's like, you know, another great example I love is, um, you know, USC, which is a college here, they have that slogan fight on and, um, it's, it's, I think it's kind of corny, but it's, it's, it works, right? They have this thing, they go fight on with a peace sign <laughs> and, you know, around the world, you see somebody with a USC sweatshirt, you go fight on, they respond, fight on. And yeah. it's like, you don't even have to, there's no software involved in that. There's no, like, you know, it's just this one, everybody has this central appreciation for one thing. And it's like building off of that. Yeah. It's, it's a culture, right? Like when you think of streetwear, there's so much culture that comes in. You, you see someone wearing an X brand and you're like, okay, I get it. They're, they're really into that. Um, and it's kind of like a realization I, I realized really recently and it's kind of dumb in retrospect, but like why people wear graphic t-shirts. <laughs> I thought I just wear them because they're cool, but like uh, apparel and your outfits, it's a form of expression, but it's 100%. also a way for you to connect with other people. I never thought about it that way. Like I, I would buy, you know, a band shirt. I would buy like a kit shirt. And then someone saw me at the gym and be like, you know, like that, that's dope. I, I love them. Like, holy shit. I just made a friend in a place I would never make friends with yeah. because I was wearing something. And like, they get it. They, they understand my taste, they understand the culture. And it's like, if your brand is able to create that same interaction, I think you have a really good community. That is the key factor in identifying if you do or you don't. And and it's right, it's binary. It's you, you yes or no. There's no like, oh, maybe I do mm -hmm. have a community. <laughs> exactly. It's a yes or no thing. Yeah. Um I wanted to talk a little bit more about lifestyle brand. It's it's a word that's been used a lot. And you know, I don't think it's like a buzzword by any means. There is there is a there's merit to being a lifestyle brand. Like when we look, look at like Lululemon, it's a lifestyle brand, um, right? But like, what does it really mean in your eyes to be a lifestyle brand for DDC? And can anyone be a lifestyle brand? Um, it's a good question. Is 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 the conception that it it shapes somebody's lifestyle? Right. It's it's very broad, right? Like when people think about a lifestyle brand, I think of like activewear. Um, like yeah. Like the image that and the lifestyle that people create with that brand um, makes you feel like if you buy that product, you're in the lifestyle. Like buying like restoration hardware, furniture. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're like positioned as a lifestyle brand, but if you buy RH furniture, you're living like a luxurious lifestyle because you appreciate stuff like that. Or when you buy like Lululemon, they're doing all these ads of being like super active or whatever. Or even Parade, for example, like they're not just selling underwear, they're selling, you know, being very comfortable in your skin yeah. and like being expressive and loving who you are. I, I think that's a lifestyle brand. But at the same time, so many companies use that because, well, it's an easy way to be like, this is who we are. And kind of similar to like the whole community thing is like, is it you either is or you're not. And so why not like take your thoughts on like some companies that you feel like, um, are really a lifestyle brand and how do you turn into a lifestyle brand or is it just something that you are, you're just, you never will be. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it's something decided by the consumers. Like for example, you know, um, if like the gym's the easiest place, right? You walk in, you see somebody with uh, noble runners versus like, you know, shoes, like new balance mm -hmm. shoes, uh, that, that might not look as gym or as uh, high end of gym or the, they're holding uh, uh, Arrowhead versus Essentia, right? right? Like I think any any choice nowadays um, has that impact. You know, like these last crumb cookies here say more than the Kirkland Costco cookies that somebody else might eat. 
uh, or, you know, me holding liquid death says is different than like something else. You know, I think, I think every, every product that people wear, consume, use, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's, it, it, honestly, it ties really well into like why I think NFTs are going to be big. It's like, it's another form of self-expression, right? Um, it's a two-way street. I, I, I like yeah. that like that it's dictated by consumer, but it's also a two-way spe- uh, street because when a consumers are doing that and they're using it as a part of their life, the brand is also supporting it with additional ads and be like, yeah, you're right. This is who we are. And this is how you can right. use our product. It's like camping gears uh, is a really good way. And even like, I, I would say Judy um, mm-hmm. is a good lifestyle brand. Like you're being prepared. You're being, um, you're, you have that stuff because you know that this is a place that you live in and you will want to use this eventually. This is part yeah. of who you are. And there's a complete set of people who are like, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> that's, right. that's not part of my life at all. Right. So I, I do like it. And, I do want to touch a little bit on NFTs. There's no way that you got to go through an interview and a podcast in today's age right now without touching on NFTs. And a lot of our viewers are probably like, ah, NFTs again. Um, but Nick, I know you just recently launched a collection of NFTs, but I want to talk a little bit more broadly on what you see NFTs or, or Web3 in general and how that ties into how we're going to operate commerce down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I I still have a lot of research to do in NFTs. I learn a lot from being in a group chat with you and Farouk <laughs> and <laughs> Tiffany. Um, but uh, you know, I think from from what I've seen, I think NFTs will a- NFTs to me in the world of commerce are are the equivalent of having like a, a subscription card or a membership card, right? Um, at least in in the abilities that you can do now, like. Um, you know, instead of a, a subscription to house in the future, you might just have an NFT that you own. And that, that is what allows you to get your monthly shipments or your quarterly shipments. Um, uh, and I think, you know, another, another version of that is kind of like what, uh, I don't know if you saw what Nelk launched yesterday Mm -hmm. with MetaCard, you know, the, the way that they're treating it is basically if you're an, if you're a card holder, um, or an NFT holder, it just gives you access to different things that other people don't get access to. So it's almost like a private club you get access to where you might see exclusive merch, you might be let into specific venues if they build those out, uh, specific shows, you might get early access to different things. But it's, uh, it's, it's very much built on top of an existing community, right? It's not just, uh, at least today, it's not just like, okay, you want to subscribe to a, a product um, you know, your NFT gets you that subscription. Um, it's more like, how can you activate your super fans and turn them into card holders or, or membership holders or, or members really, uh, and do that through an NFT. Then there's this whole component of discord and, and community and, and chatting, um, which I think will also evolve. I think the world of discord and telegram today is like version one of what NFT based communities are. And, and the reason they use Discord and, and Telegram and platforms like that is you can validate ownership of this NFT to then get into this room. Um, but I think in the future, that looks like something different. I'm not really sure if you've thought about what that looks like. I haven't thought much about it, but, but I, I just know that, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the Discord stuff is interesting. I can't keep up with any of these Discords mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the future, it looks like something different. Maybe it's a whole separate social network. Maybe it's, uh, you know, like I, I would love to know 
what that looks like. I mean, when I even think back to like Clubhouse back when it kind of started and there was like, you know, 50,000 users, uh, that to me is a great NFT experience. You know, you pay for an NFT and now you're one of select, you know, 10 or 20, 30,000 people um, versus like the millions that then flood the app later. Yeah. Clubhouse in the beginning was invite only. It, it created yeah. an exclusive community of be like, if, if you know, you know, and if you're in, you're in. And um, I do want to touch a little bit on NFTs on my side too. I, I think when people think of NFTs, they're really reserved at first hand because they're like, it's, it's a phase. It's just another scam. But it's like the idea, the concept of NFTs happened already in the space with, with just physical items. Like, you know, you have, you have an Amex car, you can go into an airport lounge. You know, you have a, you have a membership at a yacht club. You can go out there and hang out with your buddies. But there's a proof that you need to do to, to have in order to access these things. So like access is number one and being a part of that community uh, is part of that too. Um, and I think NFT is just another way. It's just another vehicle to facilitate that. It, it proves that you are and you're not and you're tr- it's transferable. Instead of being, uh, you have to be invited, you now have the ability to get it if you work hard and be a part of a community. You are granted that token to access it. And then if you don't want to be in it anymore, you can leave. There's this... There's this Discord called Friends of Benefit um, Discord, and you have to have like 75 or something FWB coins to get in. And at first, that coin, like 75 F- FWB coins was like $200. At, at its peak, it was like $12,000 for 75 FWB points because the community was so good that it's worth it in that sense because the value was dictated by the members, not by a centralized entity that it's worth it for you to pay this amount of money to go in there and hang out with these cool people. So they create this Soho house experience. Um, And I think that's like one part of what I think NFTs will be used for. And it is being used for now, but I just want Mm -hmm. people to understand it's just not trading monkey pictures or whatever. Like you're buying this, the picture is just a way for you to hang on a shelf and be like, I have it. It's cool. But the stuff that you get from it, like early access to drops that you get with Adam's bomb squad or like access to membership and getting early access. to xyz for some people it is worth it right now me and you we're doing waitlist with like an sms sign up or like a landing page on webflow <laughs> but like soon enough in the ddc space i think we'll be able to issue tokens for our most loyal fans people who spend over 500 dollars. you get this token as a vip man and you'll always get airdrop free stuff like a digital version of our packaging and then you'll always get an email a notification um, of our drops 48 hours before anyone else because we know you have that token not just because you're in an email list or whatever so i think the utility of nfts will evolve a lot but at the baseline right now it is so exciting and and i just hate to see people push it away because they're seeing seeing it as just like another pyramid scheme but there's so much good stuff to uncover once you really dive into it yeah there's uh i i agree i think um i i think like pushing it, pushing it aside or, or just saying it's not going to last is almost ignorant. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. There's a lot of naysayer because there's a lot of bad actors too. And I get it, but I, I just truly wish people spend a little bit more time on that. But I know we're wrapping up at time now and you're a super busy person. And I do want to shout out something for me, not because you asked me to, but I follow Nick's newsletter. <laughs> comes out every <laughs> Sunday. Uh, at, at one point, I was actually texting Nick. I was like, do you write all your newsletters? Because I'm like, I'm not, there's no way I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he actually writes them all. And it's it's something that I do look for on Sunday. So 
uh, where can we find your newsletter? Because I I got it from your Twitter. I don't know. I'm not sure where people. Yeah. Can find it from. Uh, you can find it on my Twitter. Uh, it's also just nik.co slash email. It's the easiest place to sign up. It is. Uh, and, and Nick didn't pay me to say this. It is truly <laughs> a really <laughs> good newsletter. I, I love it. Thank you. Um, anything else that you're working on right now that you want to bring some attention to? Um, no, we've got some exciting brands too that we're launching that I'll announce on Twitter uh, and in the email. So um, yeah, I'm excited. It's great. It's it's great to see the evolution of you, your company, and everything that you do makes sense from, because, because I mean, I like to study people and I'm like, this is the right way to get in it from, from our background, like as an operator, this is the right way mm-hmm. to, to build portfolio companies, to advise and to consult um, rather than just trying to like do one thing. So I, exactly I respect your growth. I've been watching from the sidelines and truly a big fan of you you know as a friend uh, I, I think friends should be big friends of each other and I'm just in awe at all the stuff you're building so thanks again Likewise. for coming on absolutely you just heard an episode of the Building Blocks podcast if you like what you heard subscribe below to keep hearing conversations that I have with brilliant marketers founders and innovators on how they built their best ideas now if you want to learn how you can turn your best ideas and build something massive out of it visit my website bbclass.co or follow my Twitter at Agro.